0: The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you've read the books. If you haven't read the books, go and read them. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled, and that's
1: your choice in this world.
2: Gay people love podcasts.
0: I'm dead. We
2: have to stop this podcast. This book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is... Nothing straight about plum velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that!
0: <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person.
2: I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter!
0: Hello, and welcome to part two of our discussion of chapter 21 of Prisoner of Azkaban with special guests, Woke Doctor Who. Just a quick reminder that we did have some audio issues with this recording, so there are some points where the audio sounds a little bit weird, but, you know, please forgive us. We do have a technology curse. Welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up. <laughs> Toya, kick us off.
3: I'll Snape. Snape. he is a politics section unto himself he is the thing that is fucked up in many ways we've already talked about you know kind of how he's fucked up as a teacher but as a person it's interesting to me and this is where i'm going to get into it how he and sirius kind of reflect each other in my mind so sirius of course barely out of his teens because they were all very very young which we forget if you're just a movie watcher and a book and not a book reader, you forget how young Lily and James and Sirius and Lupin and all of them were during the first Wizarding War. Okay, so of course Sirius is jailed when he's very, very young, maybe 21 years old, you know, barely out of his teen years. And kind of stops there. Like he doesn't mature any further than that. He's pretty much still a teenage boy in a lot of ways. And I think it's the same thing for Snape. Snape kind of stops maturing at that point and he doesn't go any further. He never deals with all of the, I guess the trauma of what happened to him in school, um, what happened to him at the hands of the Marauders the bullying that they inflicted upon him. And instead of becoming a better person, (laughs) instead of using that to make him not a bully to other people, he in fact becomes a huge bully himself. And it's worse because he's doing it to people who don't have equal power, right? He bullies children. He bullies the people who are underneath him as his students and also underneath him in age and in maturity level. He argues with them as if they are peers. <laughs> like he talks to children as if they're on a level with him, as if they could you know, do this witty repartee back and forth. That's not a thing that's happening <laughs> between a professor and their students. Sirius likewise has not grown up and it comes out a lot, particularly through his dialogue with Molly Weasley, um, when she talks about how you think that Harry is James. You treat him as if he's your best friend. When he is a child, he is young enough literally to be your child. And so we have these two kind of stunted baby men (laughs) fighting each other. And so for me, the only difference between Sirius and Snape really is that Harry likes one and not the other. Sirius and and you know, all of the all of those of us who like to dig in and analyze these things talk a lot about, um, particularly Rich please shout out, talk about <laughs> Harry as the unreliable narrator, right? And so we're seeing all of these characters through his eyes. And I'm thinking to myself, is Sirius really that much better? Then Sirius
0: would never be unkind to a child. I don't
3: think he would ever be unkind to a child, but he is horribly unkind to Snape, and for what, really? Like, what is the what is the actual reason behind why they bullied him when they were children?
0: Other than he's greasy looking, it's because he is a baby Death Eater. He's he's an awful kid. Yes, he's like. Super, super misogynistic and shitty towards Lily. He is like already aiming becoming a Death Eater while he's in school. <laughs>
2: Even the scene
0: <laughs> where they like turn him upside down—it's because he's about to cast a really bad curse at James. Right. Like it's, it's. They com- Remus compares it to Harry and Malfoy, but the shit that Snape is is doing to the Marauders is like way more like dark arts than anything that Malfoy yeah. ever directs at Harry.
3: Yeah. Well, I don't think Malfoy, I I would never compare Malfoy and Snape. I don't think that Malfoy is at the level of Snape. I don't think Malfoy is actually evil. I mean,
0: Remus just compares the relationship.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't even compare that. Cause I don't think Malfoy is actually evil. I think he's just like a snotty little shit, but I don't think he's really like has, you know, evil and murder um in his in his heart i think the whole thing with him and harry is actually hurt feelings but that's
2: (laughs) that's neither here nor there and sexual tension but whatever
3: that too (laughs) but i mean i've already told you what i think about the sexual tension between snape and sirius but yeah that i think that sirius has parts of him that are condescending and misogynistic as well i don't think that the, the difference is as big as we make it. I think it's a difference of degrees. I really do.
1: So here, the the funny thing is, and Lark, to your point that you're making, I, I say to my friends a lot that, you know, if they're around someone that's kind of awful to them, usually someone they work with or someone in a position of power, like I get to hate them where they can't, you know, where the friend can't. And serious... I can so see that that's where he's coming from. Like, you're a tool, but my friend Lily can't hate you, so I'm going to do all the hating for her. And I'm going to take all the vengeance that she rightfully deserves to take on you because she can't or because she won't, you know? Um, And so for me, like, this is one of the things I love about uh, Sirius is, like, he's very revenge-minded, and I kind of connect to that, like... (laughs) I'm just like, just thinking about him sitting there, like in Azkaban, just going, revenge, revenge. (laughs) Um, It's really how I picture him. Yeah. And so, like, I connect to the characters that do not like a world in which the bad people don't get their comeuppance. You know, um, and that's very much serious. Like, you know what? I'm just going to sacrifice myself. If I have to go to jail, if I have to do whatever, that's fine because it's important to the world that this person get the, their comeuppance, get what mm-hmm. they deserve. You know, and so I, I love that this like righteous hammer of God is a character <laughs> or self-righteous hammer of God is a character in this book that is somehow Harry's godfather. <laughs> Maybe that's why I don't like Sirius, yeah.
3: because vengeance is just, it eats it. Like, I can't stand it. I, I can't kind of stand that position. There's so many times where I'm like, I would be Molly or I would be Hermione in this scene. Like, I would take that position, which is grow up, right? <laughs> you are not a teenage boy with a teenage boy. You two are not friends. You're an actual father figure. This is a child and we need you to grow up.
0: It is super relevant, though, that Sirius was removed of the opportunity yes. to to mature past 21 because he literally didn't have contact with another human being for the next 11 years. Whereas right. Snape made a choice yes, to did. hang out there.
3: And that's why in the degrees, like Snape is always going to be worse because you have had that time to deal with this, and you just did not. And not only did you not do it, and you're not just visiting that on yourself, you're actually putting your nonsense onto other people, and onto people who weren't a part of it. At least if he was just acting like an asshole towards Sirius, I could understand it. At least if he was just being horrible to Harry, it would be horrible, but I would
0: understand it. Wait, Jesse, what were you gonna say?
2: Uh, Actually, I was gonna I was gonna jump in just to say that I think part of the Sirius-Snape dynamic is that Snape made that choice to be a fucking douchebag even back at school. Sirius grows up in the, you know, conservative, white, supremacy-esque world of, like, pure bloods, and he rebels against it, and I mean, to varying degrees, there's still a bit of that that lingers. I think that's maybe part of his, like, quick-to-anger revenge streak in him but for snape he could have gone to hogwarts and like you know he could have like not gone down the path of trying to emulate this like bullshit misogynistic violent i want to say racist but you guys know what i mean like fascist 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 kind of like pure blood vibe but he does he embraces it wholeheartedly and it's like Dude, you didn't fucking need to do that. You could just be—you could have just like been a regular ass student and been like, "Fuck this noise." But he embraces it, and I feel like that is part of kind of—I feel like part of maybe what Sirius dislikes in Snape is the part of it where it's like Snape is just enacting the kind of the kind of like pure blood fantasy that Sirius is trying to like move away <sighs> from so intensely. Totally. Isn't he and just like? The poor people who are voting who vote for
3: Trump to their detriment. Like he, right. he's that kind of person who wants to Hell identify. Yeah. You know, you want to identify with the pure blood um, yeah. supremacist thinking. You want to you want to think of yourself as one of those people. You want to identify with them when obviously, and if you had any sense, <laughs> you would realize that what would make sense is to fight against that thing.
2: Yeah, it's like the real enemy is. Pure blood supremacy in this world that everyone should be fighting against, but it's like we don't see maybe any characters with their eyes on that prize. Um, cause you know, structural, the structural, you know, stuff is very hard to see, but uh, yeah,
0: okay, all right, to try to honor time, I feel like we could talk about this for literal ever, yeah. and maybe we can get y'all <laughs> on for like a Patreon thing about this because that would be amazing. <laughs> um, but. For this moment, Eugenia, what do you have for us in the politics section? So
1: I I wrote a bunch of notes and then underneath it, I just wrote in big letters, misogyny. <laughs> so... <laughs> Can't wait to hear that. Yeah. So basically that entire scene in Madame Pomfrey's ward. And so the first half of the chapter, one of the things that Dumbledore that sa- said that stuck out to me was, um, you know, he's talking to Harry even though Hermione is there also and says, Oh, I can't change the minds of men. And I started at that point, taking stock of all the female characters in the room at that point. And I started getting really angry because one of the things that we were talking about, uh, we've been talking about a lot recently, is JK's internalized misogyny. And it was so prevalent in this room that Madame Pomfrey's trying to do her job and literally save people's lives. Hermione has this, like, amazing tool in her in her back pocket and also her amazing brain and they get completely sidelined and and not just by dumbledore like i actually see the the hand of the writer here like Mm -hmm. the person doing the sidelining is jk you know and it bugs the hell out of me because like and it even extends to once they actually travel to the past like hermione literally got you to the past and now she doesn't get to do anything at all like what what is this and it keeps coming back to the misogyny the internalized misogyny that JK puts into her books and it every single time i see it and it 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 was that moment of Dumbledore saying, I can't change the minds of men. And I'm like, oh, just men, you know? And so I had a little, like, I am no man Aowen from uh, Lord of the Rings moment there. <laughs> like, we can't change my mind either. So, uh, and it just, it bugged the hell out of me. And it it's one of those things where I hadn't really revisited the book since we sort of had this revelation about JK's massively internalized misogyny but like to see it right away in the chapter I was just like oh god so if I was to actually go through the rest of the books and read it with that in mind would I just be like you know what I'm never touching these again (laughs) it's possible yeah Yeah, really is Hermione
3: is always not always but often relegated to the damsel in distress you know there are so many times where Hermione says oh, yeah, you know, I'm smart, I'm clever, but, you know, what you're doing is more important. You know, the bravery of the boy is more important than the fact that I'm a literal genius. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's the one who takes him into the past, and then she becomes the one who has to be told to run and hide, you know, and he's the one who does all of the saving of everybody after she turns him into the past. And, you know, I saw, I read or heard or something, an interview with JK once where they said, you know, why would you write? a series about a boy and she made it sound as if, well, you know, that's what was going to sell. You know, if I wrote a story about a boy and she's a liar, Yeah, she's a liar. <laughs> Hell she yes. wrote, yeah, I mean, she yeah. wrote stories about, she wrote these stories about a boy because that's who she thinks would be the hero of the world. is a boy. Right. And she sees herself as Harry Potter. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> you're an absolute liar. You can see the way you write the women in the story, the way you treat them and way, the way you allow the men in the stories to treat them what you think about women.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of the women, especially in this whole chapter, they're just avatars. They're literally just to stand in for exposition or to stand in for um, someone for Harry to show his genius to, you know, and it's it's unacceptable like that. It bugs me so much and so like while i do love the time travel aspect of this chapter oh god i can't get over i can't get over how they go to the past where clearly Hermione is the one that understands the dynamics of time travel and she's like what do we do oh no what do we do and I think that even the movie tried to correct some aspects of that you know because Hermione got the moment where um, you know Buckbeak wasn't moving so she took the um, the weasels or whatever that were hand- handing the- hanging there and threw them up so he'd follow and then he, she was the one who howled so Lupin would get distracted and run off you know she had a lot more to do in the the movies, which is why I actually really love this movie out of all of them. And it's just sort of like, it shouldn't take a movie director to go, let me correct all the social wrongs that happen in these books for kids. Like, that shouldn't yeah. ever happen.
0: Hermione mostly just serves as like someone to put the brakes on Harry's behavior like that's her whole purpose here is to be like Harry don't be reckless Harry don't be reckless which is like really boring like that's a really boring way to write this chapter yeah
1: and it's really stereotypical too because that's you know how we think how you know the 50s thought of the little wife that was always preventing the the man from going out and doing what he wanted you know and it's just so Overly old fashioned that is just sort of like, why is this in this book? Why? Why did we have to have this here?
0: Yeah. Jesse, what were you going to say?
2: Oh, sorry. I was going to jump in just to say that uh, me and Lark always make a point to verbalize whenever in a chapter uh, Hermione or another female character is described as like saying something shrilly or another like really mm. gendered way like the kind of ways in which society ascribed as the way that women speak so it's like nagging and like shrilly and like it happens a shit ton in these, <laughs> in, in, the, in these books so far and it's just like oh yeah your uh internalized misogyny is really just not subtle at all not at all
3: you know the the cleverest witch of her age spending her time doing emotional labor for boys you know (laughs) spending her time corralling boys and having to be the reasonable one and what comes up to me over and over again as i read the books is how many times hermione is referred to as being afraid of harry and it's just kind of brushed off like it Mm -hmm. says frequently that hermione tries to say something softly or she tries to say it calmly or her face looks frightened as she's talking to Harry. Mm -hmm. And so what kind of friendship is that where you're kind of afraid of this boy who you spend your life kind of ushering and making sure he makes reasonable choices and doesn't do anything wrong. It's an abusive relationship between Harry and Hermione to some degree. It just, yeah. Just keep your eye out for how many times. That's a
0: really good point. Yeah. Holy shit. Ooh. All right. Um. <laughs> Jesse, what do you have here? Oh,
2: my queen deserves better. Um. <laughs> I guess I will start off with circling back to Snape, which is the fact that Dumbledore is like hey, kids, uh, Snape is a more credible witness than you guys are. Which is like, Snape is the most biased, unreliable witness you could potentially have in this situation. Are you fucking kidding me? And it's like, and then he's like, oh, yeah, like, Lupin is the one who's not going to be believed. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Fuck the police. Like, Lupin is the only one who I feel like would be able to give the, like, most even keel description of what happened in this evening and i'm like are you fucking shitting me
0: that's my first thing too is like no one's gonna believe kids and no one's gonna believe werewolves and it's like these are both populations of people whose voices deserve to be listened to and trusted i think it's been established throughout the book that no one would believe lupin which i think is incredibly fucked up but it's sort of a new edition of like you're 13, so, like, your voices don't matter is sort of the first time we've been given this information of, like, we don't trust kids to be able to, like, recount things factually, which is, like, really fucked up. Yeah. We should, we should listen to kids and believe them. I think that's yeah. really important.
3: And it's several of them. It's several of them. It's not just one kid telling this story. It's three kids <laughs> telling right. the same story. And they were all there the entire time. He came in late. And they would still believe him over the three children and
0: the werewolf. Right. Came in late and then got knocked unconscious. So he was there for a very, very short period of the whole thing.
3: You were out for a whole lot of it. How would you have any idea what was going on?
0: Yeah. Okay. So my my first thing that hasn't been brought up yet is that... Dumbledore says that Sirius hasn't acted innocent. And I'm like, when was Sirius given the opportunity to act like an innocent man? And what even would that look like in this world? Like, I'm sure no matter what, if you escape from prison, it doesn't make you look innocent. But like, he was never going to get out of prison for being innocent. So like, what does that even mean? I guess. And I just was like this is really fucked up.
1: It's very thin blue line. Yeah. Like, and it's, you know, Jesse you said fuck the police earlier and it this this feels like another moment where Dumbledore feels less like educator and more like police officer in a bad way. It it really kind of disgusts me that the, the idea of innocence here um, when you have supposedly an incontrovertible judge of innocence or at, or at least judge of who should receive punishment in the Dementors, right? Like they kind of only have one setting, right? Mm-hmm. Is to uh, punish people who are bad, in quotes. Right. And so this this person escaped from them as well as a apparently unbreachable prison. And you're going to sit there and say, well, there's no way he's innocent. Really? Really? You don't think that this could be in any way different? And it just follows along the lines of every, well, we got to follow the protocol sort of judgment that police officers do. And it's it's really, really disgusting, especially in, in this time and in, like in this time and age or where like where we're at right now societally like to see this in this book
3: yeah it feels more than it feels to me like those people who you know when you find out the latest black person has been killed by a police officer right mm-hmm. who says that's really sad but what were they doing if yep. they had just complied <laughs> you know if they had just gone along quietly this wouldn't have happened and it feels very much that. Like, well, serious, it's very sad that you were locked up as an innocent man. But, you know, if you had behaved differently, perhaps <laughs> people would think differently about you. You know. Right.
2: Yeah. Serious, if you hadn't have been a race traitor, I mean a blood trader, <laughs> maybe we would have
3: <laughs> You know. If you weren't out here kicking it with werewolves. Mhm. Maybe.
0: Yep. All right. Uh, Toya, what's next? I
1: think that's it for me for politics.
0: All right. Uh, Eugenia?
1: Okay. So I just wanted to point out that this this chapter is the one that mentions Hermione's white face. And it's it's so funny to me because uh, the moment was, I think, when Harry was trying to pull Buckbeak into the woods from Hagrid's, uh, I said office, from Hagrid's hut. And he wasn't coming and so he looked back and sees Hermione's white face and I crack up at how (laughs) often people use this as a defense for no Hermione can't be black and I'm like yeah because when I'm describing someone I know very well um, who's making a facial expression I describe them by the color of their skin like are you serious and more
0: importantly (laughs) No one in this series is ever described as white no. to talk about their skin tone. No. Zero times because JK Rowling very much writes white as the default. Yes. Like it's such bad reading to yeah. be like this is evidence that Hermione is white. Like right. you just you failed your your language arts class by yeah. reading it that way. Bad job.
1: Yeah. And, you know, for most people, like when you turn and look at someone and they're scared of something, people will say, oh, they look pale. The color's gone out of their face. So, like, that is another moment where I go, JK is really just not that great a writer, is she? Right.
0: I mean, but white as a sheet is a thing that we say. Yeah, a lot exactly. About someone who's in fear.
1: Exactly, but white as th- white as a sheet is the term, right? Like right. that's yes. the phrase. Yes. She just said white <laughs> face, and I was like, it was jarring when I read it too. I was like, she actually said white face. What? And so, yeah, like that was a that was a fun little political moment to come across in uh in in that chapter. <laughs>
3: yeah, I've had to I've had to assure white people that black people can be pale i've had yeah. to assure them of that many times like yeah trust me i've been a black person for 42 years we can be pale. <laughs> <laughs> you probably know a little bit about black people just, a little, so just black, a little bit just a little bit we go pale trust me <laughs> yep
0: Jesse, do you want to talk about our troll
2: <laughs> so I think for the beginning, we're like we're reading Hermione's black fucking deal with it, and someone on Instagram, maybe like last year, whatever, 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 what is time? I don't know. <laughs> someone created a whole Instagram account where the only image was a screenshot of that passage in the book about Hermione's white face to try to convince us that we were incorrect, and it was like, lol, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> You went through all this trouble for nothing because it's like not ever going to change my mind.
0: They came into our comments on like a bunch of different posts where we had either like images of Hermione where she was portrayed as black or it was like talking about something and we're just like, just like in quotes, just put like Hermione's white face and like that was their bio was just Hermione's white face. It was like, honestly. I feel like that was the moment where I was like, "We've made it. Like, <laughs> we have made it as a podcast." Like you went to so much trouble. Thank you. Like this is so validated,
2: and also just so invested in having Hermione being white, which I'm like, yeah. we don't have anything better to really? do than that. Like
3: that is your crusade in your life. <laughs> is the whiteness of a fictional character like that's what you care about? <laughs> enough to put that much energy in it. I mean, every time Eugenia and I talk about Harry Potter on the podcast, like there's at least once that I say, Hermione is black, eat it. Like, like, I just, I'm just super loud about that. And I dare these folks. Like, I don't give a damn what you talking about. Hermione is black. For your little white face sentence, I can put the whole thing in there about how she used a smoothing thing on her hair. Like, bitch, that was a magical relaxer. Hermione is black. The Weasley boys have evidence of liking black women. Okay. One black woman went between both of the twins. Okay. And then Ron got with another one. There are now little ginger Weasleys with afros. Eat it. Like, I don't care what these folks think. Hermione yeah. is black. It is canon, and they can kiss my
2: left ass cheek about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I just want to get that like embroidered on like a thing to put in my. House. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh.
0: So our PO box is listed on our website. Listeners, we'll <laughs> do embroidery. You can send Jesse that whenever you're ready. Oh
3: will, my god! I will.
2: I will probably display it in my house. <laughs>
3: for uh, uh, mine is black, kiss my left-ass cheek.
0: <laughs> Someone is starting on it, it, like, the moment that it. they heard this <laughs> We have the best listeners. Uh,
2: Alright,
0: um, Jessie, what do you have?
2: Um, I just want to touch base to make sure this isn't in anyone's correction, which is the fact that they don't use the pensive or truth serum Mm -hmm. To find out the truth of what's happening.
1: Uh, No, it's not. In mine, at least. Alright, cool. Um, So, this is the biggest takeaway I took from this
2: chapter, which is... Dumbledore is like, yeah, we really have no way to prove that your guys' story is true and that Sirius is innocent. I'm like, Dumbledore, you literally have a fucking pensive in your office. Y'all have magic. Snape has fucking truth serum in his fucking office. Are you fucking... Kidding me right now? Oh, we're just gonna go off everyone's eyewitness testimony. Whatever. No, use fucking magic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like so just like angry to be like this isn't the muggle world. We have to fucking be like he said, she said. It's like no, look in the fucking pensive. You're gonna see everything mm-hmm. very clearly. You know when it's doctored. Why are we even going through this bullshit? Wow,
3: I never thought about the use of the pensive. I was going to say in corrections, but since you brought it up, like, I'll say it right here, the fucking time turner. Like, if you can go back three hours, how far can you go back? Like, we could just keep going back (laughs) until we got to the time where all of these things were supposed to have happened, and we could just stand off in the cut and witness.
0: Okay, but in the books, unlike in the play, you can only go backwards, so whoever did that would then have to live through to the present to then vouch for sirius's innocence
3: that would make that makes sense that makes sense
0: that's a huge investment
3: oh yeah I, yeah that makes sense i guess i didn't think about that with the time turner but i never i never would have thought about the pensive at all although that is a that's just a gaping plot hole right there why they could mm-hmm. not have just gone into the pensive and witnessed
1: Well, I think, wasn't the pensive, didn't it make its first appearance in book five? So I guess maybe it's that JK didn't think of it yet. I'm like,
3: yeah, it made (laughs) its first appearance. It would have have existed. But yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 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 But I think, I do, I do. I think you're right. Well, we know that I think you're right that she's not a good writer. But I think, (laughs) like, she tries to cover up plot holes Mm -hmm. by, you know, writing in shit later on (laughs) to explain Mm -hmm. why that Mm -hmm. could not have happened or you know that kind of thing and then of course if you asked her if you were to ask her about that at the end like okay so if the Pensif existed during order of the phoenix why didn't it exist during prisoner of azkaban why couldn't they just have
1: yeah and thinking back i think it was goblet of fire but yeah like literally the next book you thought of another plot device i.e. magic and you didn't think about it before
0: i think you're right that it's introduced in book four and then they again don't use it at the end when harry's like voldemort is back right and then they spend an entire book being like harry you're a liar and it's like wait didn't wasn't there this memory thing (laughs) that we just (laughs) saw like what what's going on here
1: yeah, and it's even shown in later books that it's really not, like, it's not easy to fool, right? Because right. with uh, with Slughorn and his sort of falsified memory, like, it becomes really cl- apparent that that's messed with. So, yeah, right. why aren't they always using it?
2: Right. Or even, like, I mean, the ethics of truth serum, definitely something to be discussed, but it exists. Yeah. And you couldn't have been like, we're just going to clear this up, right? Sirius would definitely have taken Veritas Serum. Like if they had oh, said yeah. to
3: him, you know, we'll give you some Veritas Serum so that we can tell if you're lying about this Peter Pettigrew thing or about having, you know, been responsible for the deaths of all of these people, blah, blah, blah. He would definitely have said yes. Like, okay. So then there's no reason why they couldn't have used the Veritas right. Serum.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the the old the only thing I could say is that it would be on brand for the ministry to be like, I actually don't want this to come to light. We're just gonna like kill this dude and like call it good. Which is something That's the real. American government would do and have yeah, done. So I'm like
1: exactly what I was thinking too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we know how fudge
3: is. So yeah. yeah. Anything yeah. he could do to sweep things under the rug and not cause issues is what he's gonna do. Yeah. Because if the truth he's comes the guy- out, you now have to admit that somebody has been in prison for years who was a completely innocent man and what do you do with that Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah you can't just be like our bad
0: all right let's i'm so excited all right welcome to the health and science section where we talk (laughs) about magic and science and magical science and today we're going to talk about sci-fi so excited i'm just so excited (laughs) Um can I I really want to start by talking about the fact that Harry's Patronus is a bootstrap paradox. So Harry sees his Patronus before he casts his Patronus. Oh, right. mm-hmm. So like which came first? Mm-hmm. Like the genuine form of his Patronus, which is a reflection of his soul, or like him seeing the Patronus and then like it had to look that way when he cast it, which I am just, like, so fascinated by bootstrap paradoxes, so I'm just, like, want to talk about it.
1: Yeah, I think, um doesn't he mention that he doesn't know it's it was a... Or isn't it mentioned that he doesn't know it's a stag until after he casts... After future Harry, three hours plus Harry casts it, but... That is what
0: he says, but he also describes it as
1: galloping yeah.
0: and, like, he's looking at it as he passes out. So right. even if he doesn't, like fully consciously clock what it is it walks right up to him Mm -hmm. like he saw that it was a stag
1: right and it's funny so like we've actually talked um I think I mentioned this in the very early like in the intros but we've talked a lot about whether Patronuses are a reflection of you or what you need you know Mm -hmm. and so Harry's is very much the exception because when you look at Um, everyone else's, they're a reflection of themselves. So uh, Hermione's is an otter, Ron's is a dog, um, Luna's is a rabbit, or a hare, I think. And then, Mm -hmm. like, I think Ginny's is a horse. And that, they track so much with who they are as people, and then suddenly, Harry's is a stag and suddenly Snape's is a doe and it's just sort of like you know what does it take for someone to essentially have an aspirational or memory tied Patronus and I think it, this like yes I agree it is a bootstrap par- paradox but it's also like I really I want explained better the um, the psychology behind Patronuses because it could right, be yeah. either or
0: because he was convinced that it was his dad casting the Patronus, right. and then he casts it. So, like, fully, what he's thinking about is his dad casting the Patronus in that moment. So, like, even just on that level, it's like this was preordained right. that this was going to be his Patronus, and really, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with like who Harry is on the inside.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah,
2: I guess I want to bring up whatever book it is when Tonks is really sad about. Lupin being like I'm too old for you whatever and then Tonks has what Harry doesn't pick up but it's very clearly a wolf Patronus that Mm -hmm. everyone's like yeah it's weird that Tonks' Patronus changed and I'm like (laughs) so like they could change is it like connected to like what you need at the time or like what your like emotional state is because then in that case it's It seems interesting that Harry's is always a stag. Mm -hmm. Like if your Patronus can change. And how do you even
0: cast a Patronus? That is something that's a reflection of your sadness, which like we're going to have to talk about when Tonks' Patronus changes. We have been recording for an exceedingly long time, but (laughs) like that, that is like such a thing to go into.
3: I think that's why I said in the beginning, that I was like, fuck it. Like Patronuses are just whatever you want them to be at the moment. Because that's kind of how, like there is no set kind of Patronus protocol right. <laughs> in the books. It seems that everybody's Patronus kind of just does whatever the hell. And so, you know, if we're talking about aspirational, though, it makes sense for Harry's to be a stag because what does he want to be more in the world than his father, right? Like, right. he, his father is his hero, even though he's never met him. He doesn't know anything about him that he wasn't told by somebody else. Um, well, he met him, but he was a baby. And so, of course if he thought of himself as the you know the hero of the situation and he has to be the conquering hero he would imagine his father and he would imagine whatever his father would have done but that makes me very sad for harry it you know harry doesn't get to be anybody who isn't james and lily's child you know it it's always brought up that he looks exactly like his father except he has his mother's eyes like there's nothing in the world that he gets to be that's just him (laughs) even to the point of his patronus like even that doesn't come just from him that is his father coming out in him again
1: yeah well they say in in psych and mental health a lot that trauma changes the brain you know and so um it it makes so much sense where and this is where my background in, in neuroscience comes in, you know. Like where where the patronus seems to originate from is a lot of sense of self, you know, concept of self.
2: Technology curse alert.
0: Oh my goodness. All right. What else about time travel?
1: Okay, <laughs> time travel. Is it my turn? <laughs>
0: it is anybody's turn. Okay. This is a free for all, I think. Okay.
1: Yeah, so um time travel so this chapter obviously focuses really, uh, really tightly on time travel. And um, one of the the points that uh, it brings up is definitely um, what we call what they call the grandfather paradox of if you travel back in time and you kill your father, you will never ha- or your grandfather, you will never have existed. So one of the coolest things I have read in like the past few whatever amount of time, because time is immaterial at this point. Was a uh, recent study that came out of the University of Queensland that basically said that time travel is possible without the paradox because the universe is essentially deterministic. Uh, So if you were to travel back in time and, let's say, try to stop something from happening, you know. In the void that was created in that moment, something else would slot in there. And so like the example that they give in um, the article discussing it is um, if you were to go back and try to prevent um, patient zero from catching COVID, you may become patient zero yourself or someone else would. Because essentially it's all based on this mathematical model of called dynamical systems theory of essentially... All of the factors around that moment in time, which is called the manifold in space, which is called the manifold, creates a space for that thing to happen. And so I go back in this um, to Harry's moment of who, like, who cast the Patronus? Like, who who was the one that did it? You know, if in that moment, and I know it was made into this big hero moment for Harry, but... If it wasn't him, like, if he sort of sat there and just waited, something else would have happened because it already happened in the past. And so because it already exists in the past, there's something there that will have filled that in. And so it may not, like, you know, we wouldn't have wanted Harry to miss out on seeing what his Patronus is and casting his first full-body Patronus ever. But based on this latest, like, finding... Something else would have happened there, and so the whole concept of this sort of grandfather paradox of being preventive of time travel, um, you know, at least theoretically for us and as emotional humans, it's something we don't want to deal with. The idea of us changing things in the past and disappearing off a photograph, like in Back to the Future, it's essentially not like what is being shown now. Is that that would not be the case?
0: I find this so validating because that's been my stance on time travel from, like, the moment I first thought about it. I'm just like, you can't change time because, like, time always happened the way that it happened, which, like, is a thing that I come back to over and over in Doctor Who where the doctor's always like, time can be changed. And I'm like, it literally can't. And your existence is only evidence of that. You're like... We can't interfere in Pompeii because, like, this is a fixed point. And then it's like, oh, God, I have to interfere to make the thing happen. And it's like, yes, because you always did did what you're about to do. Yes. Like, you can't can't change it. Like, what you are about to do is always what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, the only reason Harry and Hermione can't interfere is because they didn't. Right.
1: And that was a really, like, Doctor Who moment for Harry, too. Like, I think he's probably more like rose than i think any anyone else in, in <laughs> dr who uh, but yeah rose 100 percent would have done that and like you know damn the consequences i'm gonna go do it and i'm gonna go fix it um and yeah like if it wasn't him it would have been somebody else it would have been something else you know right. and i that like it's actually I find it really reassuring because I'm like, this seems to go in a loop every single time of like what is a fixed point? And a fixed point, it seems, defined by this theory is a thing will happen here that will make the thing you already saw happen happen. Right. I swear yeah. every time we record
3: or every time we have a deep conversation about stuff like this, I look at Eugenia and I'm like, I'm a little bit in love with you right now. I- oh, <laughs> I'm just sitting here like, oh, uh, heart eyes. I'm a little bit more the right. But yeah, it that's so that's so interesting to me because one of the things I love about the series is the idea that all of this could have been Neville. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, Harry is the chosen one, but the only real reason he's the chosen one is because Voldemort chose him. Like he chose him to be the one that he did all of this stuff to which then set off the entire everything that comes afterward right all of the stuff that happens in the series and before the series started and i always want to think about what would have happened if he had chosen neville to be the one that he tried to destroy what would have happened and how would all of that have played out you know and at the end I always say that Neville is the conquering hero. I always think of Neville as the conquering hero of of the entire thing. When you get to the final scene and the war and the battle and everything happens and Neville kind of comes into his own and becomes this hero in his own right. And I always think to myself, what if that one little choice had gone in the other direction? How would all of this have gone? And I guess maybe the theory you're talking about is saying like, well, it wouldn't have, like something would have, caused, would have caused Voldemort to choose Harry or Harry would have become the chosen one eventually. But I think that's part of what I love about the idea of time travel is that the idea that one choice, the one thing we do sets off all of the rest of history. You know, what is what is that the butterfly effect or something that, you know, it's that one tiny, tiny little thing that then creates how the world goes. And so, like, what would this have been if Neville had been the chosen one and how would that have played out?
2: I love that you bring that up because I feel like in whatever book we find that out, I became immediately consumed with the idea about what if Neville had been the chosen one. Because I feel like it would have changed a lot, but then potentially not change some things at all, and it's just it's just like it's such a, like an interesting thought experiment, and even the fact that Neville isn't doesn't end up being the chosen one, he still ends up being looped into the yeah. quest to like defeat Voldemort anyway, you know, and so yeah, like what if Neville became the chosen one, and then Harry still would have been like, well, I can't just let. Voldemort, this, like, terrible fascist, like, run free in the world, and I've like, got to help. So it's like, yeah, like, it's, it's very plausible that Harry still would have been just as wrapped up in this as, like, Neville is involved. Yeah,
3: I mean, Neville even says in that final battle, right, when he does think that Harry is dead, you don't think that that's the end of it, right? <laughs> like, somebody is going to step into that void that Harry's death leaves and will then become the chosen one who will defeat you and he was prepared to do that like, and so I guess now Eugenia like you've given me something to kind of think of when I read that scene or when I see that scene and think of it like yeah okay so what if Harry had actually died right if Harry never comes back he's dead that's the end of it who would have what would have happened there because the end result is always going to be the destruction of Voldemort yeah. what would have happened yeah. there to figure that out you know?
2: yeah
0: yeah i mean if it seems like so voldemort chose harry but like something still stepped in to take neville's parents out of the picture so if voldemort had chosen neville something would have come in and taken harry's parents out of the picture so it still would have like and so would it would it still have
3: happened this way you know anyway yeah Yeah.
0: it's like they are sort of just already both the chosen one
3: yeah because neville's along for the ride the whole time anyway Um, Mm -hmm. of course he doesn't run headlong into things the same way (laughs) that Harry does, but the entire trip that these kids take across these books, Neville is a part of that from the very beginning, even if we think he's on the sidelines, even in the very first book, you know, there is mention of his bravery and how he stood up to his friends and all of that. And so, you know, he's always there kind of participating in it from the very beginning.
1: Yeah, and he's essential yeah. to it in many, many aspects because if he hadn't done that, like, would if he hadn't done that in book one, what would Harry's of Harry's actions have been in later books of like standing up for what you believe in, you know? Yeah.
3: Oh, that gave me chills a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, actually, I got chills, and I'm like. <laughs> I I just have a lot of feelings about Neville, that's all. Me too! Yeah, Oh, Neville. so much. He's he's a love,
2: he really is. So the consensus is this this is always going to be a closed loop time travel excursion.
1: Definitely.
3: And it's not weird, but it's interesting to me that Harry is the only one who's allowed to quote-unquote break time or whatever, and nothing catastrophic happens, right? Because Hermione says to him, we can't be seen by ourselves it's going to cause some huge catastrophe we're gonna kill ourselves or somebody like we're gonna think we're going mad it's gonna be a huge thing and harry literally does that so he does see himself from both sides right and nothing catastrophic happens it's just the patronus and then he becomes the you know the hero of the moment and all of that and so he's just kind of proof of the theory that you know catastrophe does not have to happen if you break into time or if you travel back in time that you can do that without it causing conflama and death and (laughs) destruction destruction
1: yeah and it it sort of speaks to how lucky harry is i guess in some ways and lucky (laughs) you know um because when he first saw himself he didn't think it was him right like he didn't oh kitty right. um sorry distracted <laughs> uh yeah this aw. is rex coming to join us hi rex um but yeah he didn't think it was himself and so but if he did i mean i doubt that there i mean so that entire scenario though whoever he saw there he wasn't ever going to think it was himself, right? And so that's lucky, you know? There there was no, like, he was a little below conscious thought at that point, right? He'd already been attacked by the Dementors. He was trying to protect Sirius. And so he kind of lucked out, I guess, in, in a sense, because he would have never had the uh, wherewithal to say, oh, that's me over there. What the heck is happening, you know? And so he lucked out, definitely, but... Yeah, like it's it's hard to legislate an exception is what's something I say a lot. (laughs) And that's uh, when you talk about the types of people that may be seeking time travel. I'm pretty sure the very ambitious and the very dangerous sort of fall into that category, Um, you know, at least disproportionately so. And so I think that's who the rules are made for.
2: (laughs) Yeah, this is really like maybe the biggest instance of when Harry looking exactly like James like yeah. comes into play in a major way. Mm-hmm. And it's helpful. <laughs> yes. It's yeah. yes. really, really helpful. It's like you really save yourself from murdering you. Because <laughs> yeah. you're not going <laughs> to see the cool. color of your eyes across, you know, from that far distance.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I also feel like Hermione definitely, the argument feels really confusing to me because it's just like, she knows that she has a time turner. Hermione would not kill her double. She also would stop Harry from killing his double because she would have been like, it's cool. I have this thing called a time turner. That's going to be us from the future. So like, I don't know the whole, the whole time that I'm reading that chapter, I'm just like, but is it a problem?
1: Yeah. Um. And you know, with this, this new theory in mind, like because the universe is deterministic, um, because you didn't kill yourself in the past, you won't be dead in the, the future.
0: <laughs> right.
1: So it's just kind of because it didn't happen, it won't happen, kind of thing. So
0: yeah, I mean, I feel like the real argument that Hermione should be making is like we can't see ourselves because we didn't see ourselves. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like it already happened, and you remember it. So like we just have to do it that way. Yeah. We're creeping dangerously close to. Yeah, (laughs) luckily, is there anything else that anyone wants to bring up before we wrap up?
3: Oh, oh, oh! So it's just one theory that I have, and it's just a thing that works for me because of my anxiety and because I use these books as comfort reads, which I decided earlier was foolishness. But one of the things that I think lots of people think about, right, is the the dementors as being representations of depression and anxiety. And so because I am a person with diagnosed anxiety, because I live with anxiety, you know, the dementors are always very interesting to me, but not only the dementors themselves, but how you deal with them. And so what I find very interesting is how dealing with the dementors is equivalent to how I deal with anxiety, right? And so to deal with Dementors, there are three things that you do. You, d- you have the chocolate, right? To deal with like the effects of the way they make you feel. You have to bring up that happiest memory, right? In order to be able to get a Patronus, in order to be able to produce a Patronus. And then you have the Patronus. And so in my mind, the equivalents to those things, chocolate is the medicine, that you would take to kind of deal with the way those things show up um, in my body physically, the what, the what the, how they make me feel in my body. And the happiest memory is my reminding myself that joy exists and that I felt it before and I can feel it again. And then the patronus is the reaching out. It's the reaching out for help to have somebody who gallops to your rescue somebody who stays beside you and fights it with you and so with all of the nonsense um, <laughs> that is associated with harry potter for so many different reasons primarily because of jk rowland the dementors and the fact that they can be fought is a great reminder to me personally of how i can fight through the worst of times in depression and anxiety and so Right now, given <laughs> the state of the world, it's something I hold on to a lot. And so there might be a very weird thing to want to read about the Dementors um, in a time when we are being beset <laughs> by depressing things and things that can cause anxiety on every side. But I actually find it extremely comforting. So I just wanted to offer that to listeners in case that will help you at all. There are ways to fight off Dementors and there's ways to fight off depression and anxiety all the time. So there you go. Aww.
1: That's it. Aw, Tawiyah. This is a great way to end this episode. Yep. You and she always does this too. Like there's always like, uh, uh like final parting moments with Toya. out our <laughs> to who episode <laughs> where we both start
2: to cry. We're like, well, that's it. Never mind. That's the end. No, this 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 is great, especially because daylight saving time oh. is essentially dementia yes. season until fucking May. Hold on, everybody.
0: <laughs> so on that wonderful note about your podcast and also the way that you uh, are good at bringing joy into the world. Can you folks tell us about where our listeners can find you?
1: Yes. (laughs) So our, um, our site is wokedoctorwho.com spelled out. They can also find us on uh, Twitter at wokedoctorwho. And then they can listen on any place you find podcasts. We okay. even have an Instagram. We don't put a oh, whole yeah, lot of stuff on it. We don't, use it. It very well, we don't put a whole lot
3: of stuff on it, but if you want to look at our faces, you can go yeah. and see.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. This was incredible. Thank you
3: for this having us. This has been us. amazing. Thank you guys so much for inviting us. We have we are so excited to have been able to do this.
1: Yes, definitely. This is
0: a joy.
1: Yeah, this is so much fun. Yay! <laughs> Yay.
0: The Gaily Prophet is produced, mixed, and edited by me, Lark Malachi Gray. You can find us all over the internet at The Gaily Prophet. That's our website, our Patreon, and our social handles. Speaking of Patreon, if you want to ask for a subscription to our Patreon for whatever gift-giving holiday you celebrate or gift it to someone... It is now easier than ever because you can sign up for a year's subscription all at once. So head over to patreon.com slash to do that. Uh, and when you join, you will immediately get access to over 100 offerings, including our new Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast, We Are the Gayers. Speaking of cool subscription things that you can join, we have a sticker club, which is really exciting, where every month you will get a different queer, or witchy, or funny, or often all three sticker in the mail. They're very, very wonderful. If you are looking for ways to support us that don't involve money, you can leave us a five-star review. And tell all of your friends about The Gaily Prophet. Maybe start having Gaily Prophet listening parties. And uh, check out Escape from Reality. That's escape spelled with a gay in the middle. It's our podcast about Carry On by Rainbow Rowell. It's super fun and really good. And if you haven't read that book, maybe that's uh, something you should put on your to-do list for the next little while so that you can enjoy that podcast because it's fucking wonderful. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. Our spoiler warning is by Sarah Sarwar. The music and our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. And until next time, time is fixed.